Okay, welcome everybody uh, to the first ever, first ever Deep Three podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Revis, joined by the esteemed Sterling Griggs. All right, so I finally was getting ready to record this podcast, finally getting it going, and I knew Sterling was going to be in town, so I had to get him in. You don't know when he might uh, grace me with his presence again, so I just wanted to get him in and just catch up and... uh, Maybe share some old stories. Absolutely, There's yeah. probably more that I've forgotten than uh, we can ever talk about. Uh, but we go back a good bit, I would say. Um, so I want you to dive into that. Sterling, kind of your history in ministry, your family, then kind of how we get into how we connected through our work in youth ministry. Yeah. Kind of just go from there. Yeah. Um, born in 1970, so I'm an old guy. I'm 50 but had the opportunity to be raised in just a really solid church that offered a ton for students, mentoring. So my student, my experience as a student growing up was of men and other leaders mentoring me. So when I was in high school, I, I genuinely felt God saying, I'm calling you to do the same. So I responded to that call after my 10th grade year in high school, um, after college, you know, seminary was in the works, uh, the whole time knowing that what I was going to be doing was working with students primarily, which is really what I've done since about 1990. Um, had a brief stint working with children's ministry, which was certainly not my forte. <laughs> Did some college ministry for a year, which was cool, but I was fresh out of college myself, so it was kind of tough. Right. So student ministry is where I've been for the most part. And then uh, seminary, some life changes. There was a surgery involved in there earlier on. And then things worked out. 2001, got a phone call from Union Grove Baptist Church out here in Yakin County. They wanted me to come interview. I came out to interview. I basically tried to bomb the interview. I didn't want to live in Yakin <laughs> County. Oh, I didn't really, no. No, I didn't. I didn't want to live in the, I was newly married. That's fair. Uh, you know, we're pregnant with our first child. Um, I wanted to be in ministry, but I was like, I don't think I want to live out here in the country. I don't know anybody. I was used to big church ministry, the bells and whistles. And I tried to bomb the interview, and it actually went really well. And they basically called me and said, we, we think you're the guy God wants here. So I said, I need some time to pray about it. Give me a week. Prayed about it for a few days. Woke up one morning, and it was like the Lord saying, this is, this is where I want you to be. Trust me. So we, you know, we moved in. Uh, nine years later, four kids later, hmm. God moved us on somewhere else in 2010. But during that nine-year period is when we met. Right. I don't know that you were at South Oak Ridge, uh, and I don't know that you were serving. I don't. You weren't a student. You, were you a college student? I don't remember. Yeah. So 2003, I graduated from college and came back and kind of was an intern and okay. kind of just stuck was from it. there. And yeah, and that was it. A lot of things together. But the cool, the cool part was, is I know you, there were so many people that were involved in student ministry in Yakin County. I, I don't yes. think, I've talked to so many guys in ministry over the years, and I share the experience that I had in Yakin County, the cooperation between student oh, yeah. ministries and churches, and they said, I've never heard of that before. Hmm. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, you had Rick Trivet, of course, Who's in the Nick. I mean, it didn't matter. We just, we would throw stuff together and it would yeah. work. And nobody, nobody got the credit. Nobody cared. The the bill always got paid somehow, <laughs> and it just didn't matter. And so during that time, you and I connected, and then we had some trips together. I think we did the Ording trip, 
Yes, on that I definitely want to talk about the Ording trip a little bit. And uh, then some others somehow, and then I actually brought a youth group back a few years ago when I was down at the coast to do one of the impact trips. That's right. And so we reconnected again then, and of course you guys have had me in, I think only once at Collide. I think you realize your mistake needs to be more, but once at Collide. So. <laughs> That's true. We got to rectify that for sure. <laughs> to, so. to speak, but yeah, it's it's been it's been good to, and I, you know, all these years later, twenty years later, before I started here, I really believe that some of more more interpersonal, deeper connections are still in Yakin County. Yeah. Even though we've been other places and on the coast and living in Louisville and now in Wilmington, it's still Yakin County. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. The YC. The Y Vegas. Special about the Y Vegas. They're, they're kind of when you're. When you're living in Yakin County, and you have six, you know, four kids in six years, and your wife's back in school, mm. and you're struggling just to put food on the table at times, you don't realize everything that's around you in Yakin County. Right. And then, and then, then life changes, and you move away, and then you realize it was the relationships to begin with, and those relationships are still with you. That's 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 a pretty it's a pretty special thing. Yeah, I think one. Of my memories, I wrote this down uh, to talk about just your willingness to just kind of do what you felt like doing in the moment. Like, I think it was an ording, you and I want to say Brandon Carter mm-hmm. doing uh, Charlie Hall's Hookers and Robbers, like in the park. Yes, I think we did. You did, we and did. I love song. that song, the honesty <laughs> of it, and <clears throat> just the fact that you didn't care about. You didn't have any qualms about playing it, but I just, I remember that. Really? That'll stick with me, and that, that's a great. How about that? I, so I was very unique about... look at things. Well, right? I can I can remember that night very clearly because we're out in the park there at Ording. Beautiful, beautiful city, beautiful town. I had my guitar. I knew like three chords, four on a good day, and I could string them together sometimes. And I just had sheet music, and Brandon and I had played a lot together, you know, at Union Grove. And I remember doing the, that life song, a uh, lifehouse song. What was it? Uh, the one where they did the sk- all the kids did the skits. Oh, everything. Everything. Yeah. Doing that. Oh, man, I love Brandon could belt that thing out. Yeah. And then doing some other songs, like Hookers and Robbers. How about that? I mean, basically, the song is about coming to Jesus as you are. Yeah. I and mean, that's the gist of it. Like, oh, gosh, you're going to sing a song with that title? Like, well, we're all messed up. Like, just come to Jesus like you are. Was yeah, imagine, that's, that's over that. 10 years ago and kind of scandalous then, and it ain't scandalous now. Right. <laughs> for sure. Life. For sure. Well, okay, so 2010, That's that's been a bit since you've been, been yeah. here. So what have you been up to since? So we, uh, and I say we, whenever I say we, I'm always talking about me and my wife, Kelly. Um, we've been in this together from day one. Uh, sure, I may be the one that is has the title, but we minister together. So like, I do weddings, I do a lot of weddings. We do premarital counseling together. We, we, so we share, we, we've been, it's, it's, a, it's a team. And so we... We sensed God pretty strongly in, in 2009, telling us our time in, in Yakin County was, was up. We'd been there a lot longer than I think most people thought we would, doing student ministry and discipleship. And uh, some, some people were like, we thought you would have moved on and gotten a real job one day. Well, this is where God has us. So, Youth ministry is never a real job. I mean, apparently, right? no. Apparently, it no. Is. It is a real job. We believe No, that. it's serious. It's hard. It's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm only 27. Look how old I look. But we just were on the same page with that, and so we took a step of faith. I did not have a job to go to. We had just bought a house in Louisville, one county over, in two thousand into two thousand nine, and my wife had just gotten her first full time job at the hospital at Forsyth Hospital as a nurse. 
And we said, well, you know, in the meantime, until God opens that door for you, for whatever, she said, I'm working, you're home with the kids, we'll make it work. And two years went by and nothing really stuck. It was interviewing other places, but nothing, nothing in the Winston-Salem area. So we bought a house in Winston-Salem area and yet there was nothing there ministry-wise opening up. And so we're fine with that, but interviewed a place in Tennessee, all sorts of different places. And what, what finally led us to leaving and going towards the coast, it was the end of 2011. Um, I got a call from a church in Oak Island, North Carolina. Very familiar with Oak Island. We'd been vacationing down there my whole life. And they wanted me to come in and interview about being their senior pastor. And I was pretty excited about that because, I mean, I wasn't done with students, but I was certainly ready to do more. So long story short, I go and do the interview process. And it, it went well, but it eventually broke down. I wasn't their guy. We both knew it. But during that time, my wife said, well, hey, if, let me see what nursing jobs are down there. And it turns out Novant had just built a hospital in that county. Wow. They were looking for somebody to run the women's center. She interviewed for it. She got her job. I didn't get mine, but we're like, hey, I, let's go. We've, God's opening a door, so we moved to the coast. And we latched on to a church that was very similar to Collide. In fact, you came and visited that one time. Yes. Very similar to Collide. It had a kind of a smaller start and grew. And we just started attending it. And then one day the pastor and I got to know each other. And he said, hey, would you like to do some preaching here? Be on the preaching team. I'm like, sure. Who else is on the team? He said, just you. And I said, okay. So I started preaching some for him, and then they brought me on staff to be a teaching pastor that would share the preaching load and to oversee their student ministry. So we were there for five years doing that and grew, had a great time growing a ministry. Really unique community, especially in the off-season when vacationers aren't there. There's, there's a lot of need. There's a lot of poverty, and there's a lot of need. And we just focused on loving kids who were unchurched. And so every Wednesday night we have... About 100 or so kids would show up, and half of them were unchurched, and we loved it. Made some of the church people a little a little nervous. We had some different stories we could tell. Some of the kids were coming. Yeah. I've been but, there. I know how that can go, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, it, but they, they have to trust you. You yes. have to tell the people, listen, just trust us. I mean, just trust us, because we're just trying to love these kids to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a lot of fun. And then my last year at that church, uh, I transitioned out of student ministry, my choice. Right. Um, it needed some changes, and I didn't. I just was like, you know, I'm kind of tapped out of ideas, and so I was still teaching pastor, but transitioned in kind of an administrative role. It became pretty quick. I'm not an administrative guy, and so for that year, I, I wasn't. It just, it just wasn't good. Hmm. The preaching was great. The people were great. The administrative role not good, because I just don't. I'm not. I'm not a behind a desk guy. I'm out meeting people guy. I feel you. And I'm right there with you. And during that time, my wife. Um, had gotten her doctorate degree and was teaching at UNCW in the nursing school. And so we began to pray, maybe we should, maybe Wilmington's where we need to be. And, yeah. and in a week's time, we heard about a house, saw the house, made an offer on the house and bought the house. And so wow. <laughs> we moved to Wilmington. Yeah. And now I'm in Wilmington and my wife's got a great job and I'm once again unemployed. But we trusted this is where God wants us to be. And you know, the kids are plugging in at school, they're doing great, a lot more opportunities in Wilmington. And uh, this, we moved up in the summer of 2017, and I just was praying, God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And a door opened up for me to go into a private Christian school there called Coastal Christian High School. They needed a new Bible teacher. I'd had the chance to speak at chapel there several years before through a connection, and I'm in my fourth year there now. I teach Bible to mostly freshmen, uh, so it's a class I created, curriculum I created. 
Systematic Theology Light 101, okay. you know, talking about world religions and how we as Christians respond to different faiths, just all sorts of stuff like that. So it's, it's controlled chaos every day in my classroom. But that's, that's where we are now, and my wife is still teaching, but she now teaches at Wake Forest University School of Medicine remotely. Okay. So that was, the, that was the gig from the beginning, even before COVID, when they were recruiting her. She says, we don't want to leave the beach. Sure. And they said, okay, teach remote because she's teaching graduate students. So now we live at the beach. Our families are here and jobs are here, but we're still at the beach. So it's kind of, it's a beautiful mess. Yeah, I remember you saying <clears> at, one, <throat> at one point, you said, hey, we just function better near water, I think, something along yes. those lines. So how we did do. you come up to realize that? And I guess I would say, wouldn't most people say that? But I don't think it would really pan out like it does for you guys. So how did you come to that point in your life? You know, I think growing up, vacationing, I mean, I grew up in a family, I'm the youngest of three boys, and we, we took one vacation a year, and it was to the beach, same beach, Oak Island. Then as we got older, they began to reach that, rent that beach house for two weeks each summer. Mm. And so I spent two weeks of my summer, you know, which is not a long period of time, but at the beach, on the beach, all day, never leave, sun up, sun down. I mean, I had hair then. We, um, I just I never washed my hair. Yeah. I'd get out of the ocean, yeah. I'd, I'd, just, I'd just rinse off in the spigot and then go in the house and... By the end of the week, it's just matted, and it just it was a connection. Yeah. I didn't surf. I didn't do those things. It was just the beach. And as I got older, we, we would go home from vacation, and I would, I'd get, like, depressed. Hmm. I'd go in the morning. I missed the beach. And then I, I, I met and married my wife, Kelly, and she really loved the beach, too. So we would just do weekends to get away to the beach. And then we started doing our own family vacations at the beach, and we'd come home, and we would just go in the morning. For, like, a week, we're trying to recover from the sadness of leaving the coast. And then I, I didn't share this part. Oddly enough, uh, before you know, she interviewed for the job down at the coast. She got a she interviewed for a job in Hawaii. Oh, really? Yes, big big medical center, and they offered her the job. Wow! To and, and it was a great job, uh, but the only problem is there was no. We had four kids by then. I mean, how are we going to uproot, afford to move to Hawaii? And, all, and we had, we didn't have a plan, so we she eventually had to turn it down, which we went into mourning after that. Sure. And then when the beach job opened up, we're like, we're, it's a no-brainer. We've been we've been praying for the Lord. Nothing's here for me in Winston Salem. Let's go. Mm. And so we just being at the beach, just the, I don't know if it's the salt air. I don't know if it's just the the vibe of the coast. Yeah. Or it's just being that close to the water. It it just does kind of get in your veins, and and you just need to be near it. Sure. So, like I said, I don't surf. I don't do those things. I'm not a bra. Paddleboard, though, right? I do paddleboard some, yes. Yeah. But, you know, my son's getting into it. You know, he likes to, he likes, to, we don't have a boat, but he, he mooches rides on people's boats okay. and things like, and I do too. Nice. And so it's, it's kind of one day we'll have a boat, maybe. It's good to know people, right? Yes, connections are key. Yes. Very key. Yeah. Um, I'll say, too, when you guys were in the uh, Oak Island area, uh, Nick and I were at training to start colliding. We came yeah. to your house one night. I was just really encouraged, visited your church, like always super encouraging to me and just kind of like helping to affirm what God was doing in our lives before we were we started this crazy journey that we've been on. So I really appreciate you oh, always yeah. being there to uh, yeah. affirm and just get wise counsel. And I appreciate it. You probably got more wise friend. counsel from my wife than you did for me. But we love, I mean, I get excited when I see something new start. I think it's great. I, I, I get restless after a few years of things. And, 
you know, I, I'm not wishy-washy, but it's sometimes hard for me to stay in that same place and be content there because I'm always thinking about, well, what could be next? Not just for me, though, but for other people. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, totally stoked for you guys that you were going to be doing that. I'm like, yeah, how are we going to help? Let's, let's, yeah, let's talk. Let's do it. Okay. And then, and the cool thing is, it's like being here today yeah. and like going to service today. I'm like, wow, that God's done this. Yeah. It's, it's been, I mean, I've been, I've been in all, all morning saying, wow, this is, this is bigger, better than I thought it was going to be. Sure. And, it, and it, I mean, of course yeah. I give God all the glory for that, but Amen. it's pretty sweet. Yeah. I even noticed that. I think it was last week. Like, I mean, you know, we're social distance. We got less people in, but just looking around at like the six or so people here at one service I'm like I didn't know any of these people a few years ago and now some of them are my closest friends and just watching families worship together like yeah it's pretty pretty amazing so uh, I'm going to go not off script I'm going to switch something up because I'm going to feed in off of what you just talked about like you just said you kind of get get restless uh, maybe a little bit um, but I would say you are not you and your family are not afraid to like take a risk or try something new or just like I mean I would say you pretty you just talked about Hawaii I'm like y'all considered that like I'm more of a guy like this seems comfortable I'm gonna hang here for a while outside of playing this church otherwise I feel like I'm very low on the risk scale but like what what has led to that I mean what do you contribute to that being part of your personality I'm sure part of it being trusting in God but like you guys just kind of ebb and flow and just but it seems so right though how does that happen for y'all uh that is a great question um i was not raised in a risk-taking environment i mean my parents are still in winston-salem born and raised uh they had dad had the same job his entire life mom worked for the airlines most of her life and then retired i mean it was there were no risks there and we they still don't take risks my parents you know they're they're getting old much older now they don't take risks and I wasn't a risk taker. I was very, I'm, I'm incredibly pragmatic, incredibly practical. And I would attribute the, um, well, I would say definitely, you know, God's leading as I've gotten older and a lot less stubborn and willing to heed to where he pushes. But also marrying a woman who is a risk taker. And she was an only child and they moved around. She actually lived in Hawaii as a child okay. for a little bit. So she was around, so she's, she's done a lot more. And just us having that connection and that relationship saying we're just implicitly trusting each other. But then I think too, a, a lot of the changes have been as, as God has continued over the years to, to just kind of develop my formation and stuff of ministry and how that's evolved from when I was younger, you know, I wanted the, you know, I wanted the great position at the, at the great church and, all and now I'm like, no, I just want people mm. and I go where the relationships are. And that's what my wife does too. We we go where the people are in the relationships. We don't necessarily go towards the building. We we go towards the the opportunity for people. And I don't know. It it took me a while to get to that point of being saying, "Hey, let's 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 do this. Let's do that." Because I am so safety conscious. I just think it's just us. Um, the more we invest in people, and the more we have walked through life with people when we see an opportunity like man there's people there hmm. and it's not that they don't need us a lot of it's we yeah. might need them okay so let's 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 go and we've never we've never moved to a place where we found ourselves like in a in a desert like oh there's nobody hmm. here what do we do we we just gravitate towards people whether they want us to or not 
It's like we see somebody, you, you're going to be our friends. Yeah. You're going you're to hang out with us. And I don't know. It's just a kind of a combination of those things that have taken us to that point. And I say restless, and I don't want to sound negative by using yeah. that restlessness because we don't want to be like, a, oh, we're going to be here for a little bit and invest and then leave you. Right. We've never felt like we've ever just left anything unfinished. We've always, like I say, because we've, we've never been about programs and that somebody's got to take over a program. It's like, you know, you, you take over relationships is what you do. Mm. And you, you go to the next place and there's relationships there. That is really good. Really good. Um, all right, so we'll hop into, this is, again, the Deep Three podcast. So uh, faith, culture, sports, it's kind of my world. So that's what I want to share with people. So uh, just three questions I want to ask everybody. So again, the first person I'm asking these three questions to. Uh, so, what, so I'm setting the bar, right? You are setting okay. the bar. So I'd appreciate it if it's not too high of a bar. Okay. You know, not too low either. Let's go for a single, you know. Maybe you want to trade it to a double, but let's just get on base. I can still second. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Most definitely. <clears throat> uh, all right. So um, what is your favorite sports memory? This could be you playing, you watching. It could be anything. There's, there's two. Can I do two? You can do two, yes. Well, I can just do one if you want me to. You can do two. Okay. Do because two. What, what people may not understand is I wasn't allowed to play sports growing up because you know, I was born with a heart defect. So anything that I, I never played organized sports, they wouldn't let me. My doctors wouldn't. But I would play pickup ball, yeah. backyard ball. And when I was at Wake Forest, um, my senior year, I mean, I was in great shape. I was, I was, you know, I was really active. Still had a metabolism that worked, and <laughs> Ooh, I miss those days. I, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't great at basketball, but I, I was really quick. And um, every once in a while, I could I could hit some shots. And I can remember going in there and playing pickup ball. I had next game, which is some regular guys, and we we're playing against this team that had been on the court for forever. They had two starters for the Wake Forest basketball team, the point guard and a wow. power forward. And I matched up against the uh, the point guard. And I outscored him, four to three, and he got mad because I was, you know, one of the other players was on the sidelines saying, "Yo, Derek, little white boy, is showing you up," and and he got mad and he started like playing me hard. But I mean, we lost the game, but I outscored him and hit every shot I took. And I've, it's never happened since, and it never will again. It was just a once in a lifetime thing. But that was kind of since I never really played a team sport. That's like my sports moment. But I think the, the one in terms of observing, being the Wake Forest fan that I am, in 2006, when we won the uh, ACC football championship mm-hmm. with a backup quarterback, picked to finish dead last in the uh, conference, and we wound up going to the conference championship. My wife and I actually drove round trip 24 hours with no sleep to watch the game in Jacksonville, Florida. Wow. And we won the game, immediately bought tickets that we couldn't afford to the Orange Bowl. And went anyways because we knew it would never happen again. And being in the Orange Bowl Stadium in early 2007 with 35,000 other Wake Forest fans, you didn't even realize there were that many Wake Forest fans ever. But just being there to see a black and gold and cheering on our team, we didn't win the game. But it was still to this day one of the coolest sports memories because Wake was competitive, could have won the game, lost to a really good Louisville team. But just being there, seeing guys that I went to college with and seeing these players and the players just being starstruck because this little Wake Forest doesn't do those things. And Arnold Palmer came out as a Wake Forest representative, and there wow. he is. And it's Very like cool. just, I don't know, for the, for the first time really 
as a lifelong Wake Forest fan, as a Wake Forest graduate, just that, that sense of pride in that school that I've never had a reason to feel, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Uh, that was really cool. That was really cool. And we, we went into debt going to that game, but we're like, my wife said, we're never going to have this chance again, probably. And she's been right so far. She has been right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe my Tar Heels, they're getting there in football. Maybe we can they are. Like they that. are. As much as I hate to admit it, they, they're getting there. Yeah. So um, I will agree. I think the best stories of sports, participating is pickup. Like, it's just where you get good stories. Pickup ball is, you do. is where and, it's at. I mean, yeah, because sure. the story can stretch on and get bigger oh, yeah. and bigger. I For promise sure. I did not embellish mine. No, no embellishment? I did not. No, no. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, all right. So we got the sports one out. Uh, next, what's something you can't get enough of? So I'm thinking culture. This could be a food. It could be a TV show. It could be a movie. It could be paddleboarding, whatever. Something in culture that you're like just all about right now. Something in culture. Okay. Because I was, I was honestly going to say, and this sounds really hokey, maybe. I was going to say my family. Oh, that's good. Uh, because, yeah. because honestly, it is, um, I have a great family. I have four kids. And, you know, they're all, they're ages 13 through 19 now. So we have four teenagers. Wow. One's in college. One's about to go. And just the, the bond and the dynamics is because as we've been on this journey going from Yakin County, briefly to Louisville, to the coast, then up the coast, they, they've been on all of it. And they've they've been on board. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying we sit around. We don't sit around uh, every night and play board games together. It, it, it's not that we do that. But uh, this the connection with my family, especially this past year. And and I don't know if I really want to go in deep into it. I could, but you know, January of last year I had major surgery, right. where we didn't know if I was going to make it. And you know, family was important then. But now it's really, really more important because you know, when I came home and there, there's my family and it's like, I, I, I love you, but I've never loved you more than I love mm. you now. And then, then of course, COVID, we're all together. Right. And it's just, um, I just don't get tired of my family. Mm. And I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody would ever admit that they do. But I mean, I don't, I don't get tired of my wife. We, well, we, every morning we wake up early, put on coffee, and we sit on the couch for an hour and we solve the world's problems every morning that we're home together and um it doesn't get old i look at my watch it's like i gotta get ready to go to work we haven't had enough time you know and because we know during the day she's gonna be busy i'm busy at night we're running kids everywhere like hey tonight can we do this again Hmm. and and connect again at night and then my kids just my son's playing lacrosse now he made the team and so just go and watch him practice and play it's just like i love that my youngest daughter is a gymnast she does it all the time and i love i love that you know, my oldest daughter about to graduate and just, she's a deep thinker processor, really kind of, kind of nerdy, funny in a way, but yeah. like we get each other. She loves soccer like I do. And That's so awesome. her favorite team is Chelsea like mine. And so we talk soccer all the time. We watch games together. Like if I'm not home, she'll text me and say, so-and-so scored. And then my oldest daughter, Chandler, who's at, in East Carolina, just, you know, she's not home as much. When she comes home now, that relationship is just enriched because she's not at home as much. So... With everything going around culture, I've actually, I, I try to keep my, my finger on the pulse because I think you have to, mm-hmm. but with just everything this past year, I'm like, I just, there's so much about culture that, that makes me so frustrated right now mm. that I've made a determination. I'm, I'm not going to allow it to happen. Okay. And so I, I know things that are going on, but I got rid of all social media except for a shared Facebook account with my wife. 
And so I don't, I don't have Instagram, I don't have Twitter, I don't have any of that anymore. And uh, I've been so much happier hmm. <laughs> because of that. So I don't know if it really answers your question. No, it's It's, it's not really a culture thing. I guess right now my family is my culture. Okay. And we live in a neighborhood, and we're surrounded by unsafe people and unchurched people, and they're really unchurched. And mm-hmm. our, our job, wherever we live, is, is, is to love our neighbors well to Jesus. And that's my culture, too, right there. So I don't... If I want to know what's going on in the world, I look around my neighborhood. You, and can, I see you it. can figure it out. Yeah, figure it out, figure, figure it out pretty quickly, yeah. Okay. Uh, quick thought on Chelsea. Uh, uh, Pulisic. 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 Is he, is he going to leave Chelsea? Well, he, the, we actually, I actually watched the last uh, 25 minutes of the game today at yeah. the restaurant. And they put him in, and he looked brilliant. Yeah, he had a couple scoring chances. He's got a beard now, so he looks—he's looking pretty sweet. I hope not. Well, I hope uh, not. I don't. I love the fact that we have a new coach. I love the fact that we haven't lost yet with this new coach. Yeah. No, we did. We lost one. I think we lost. We tied. Anyways, but his style is so different than Lampard's, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like Pulisic fits in right now. And I'm hoping that changes. He put him in today, and he was brilliant. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that changes things. But I, I don't want to lose him. If you're listening, you're like, "What are y'all talking about?" First of all, it's soccer, and like, who cares? We care. Yes, we uh, do. And the thing I care about most in soccer is the U.S. national team, and this dude is the best player we got. Well, he's brilliant. Uh, he is amazing. And new coach to his new team, Chelsea, which is like one of the top handful of best, you know. They're like the New famous. York Yankees of English yeah. soccer. They're up there. Yeah, so it's I've heard two things. Number one, that he wants to go back to Germany and play Bundesliga, or the coach who has is connected with him from Bundesliga is like, I know who you are. I'm going to figure everybody else out first. Then you're going to jump in and do your thing. So I don't know which one it is. I hope the second. Uh, I mean, I do two for his sake. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Chelsea fan, uh, and a little bit of soccer. I like talking soccer, and you can't find many people that are going to want to talk soccer. So thank you for, for mentioning that. I'm happy uh, to help. For sure. And then um, two things based on what you just said. Number one, uh, the fact that you said your, your family's been along for this, this journey. Um, and I would say that could be something that holds a lot, a lot of people back from taking risks and making moves would be. The fear that oh, I'm going to move my kids away from their where they're comfortable from their right. friends. Have you seen any of that? Um, you said they've been along. They've been a good part of it. Like, was there any hesitancy, or have they just gone with the flow and just meshed in well wherever you've wherever you've been? I mean, they they've trusted us. It hasn't been without any um, you know potholes. You know, they've they've there's been some adjustments socially trying to make new friends. I mean, you know, I have four kids and they're all four very different personalities, but two are very social. Um, and and they've, they've had no problem. The other, other two are maybe not as social, uh, but they've, they've found their groups and their niches. Um, what was your question? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, was it hard for them, I guess, to yeah. make that? Did you... Were you worried, but from pulling them from their their friends, their they were they were comfortable in their schools and well, yeah, we well, I mean we were definitely concerned about that, and we also never went into it as a, well. We're the parents; it's we're just doing it, just whatever. Right. We would talk with them about it, and they had concerns like moving up from Southport to Wilmington. It's only a forty-five minute drive, but we're uprooting my oldest daughter after her sophomore year of high school to a brand new high school. 
trying to and and she was initially not real not real happy with that. Now she didn't we didn't have knockdown drag outs or anything, but she was very I appreciate her honesty. She let us know I'm, I'm not I'm not okay with this. I don't like this, but she trusted us and. Of course, she was the very first one to meet people when we got within a week. She's got a whole gaggle of friends. She's like, yeah. "I'm good. Just worry about the other three. <laughs> she was great. In fact, it was so funny. We moved up in June of 2017, and she's starting to make friends. She goes to a brand new school, really great school, Hoggard High School. And um, like on Sunday nights after youth group, they would all go out and get ice cream and stuff. She came in one Sunday night in October, that first year we were up there, just walked into our room and just said, thank you. We're like, Okay. For what? She goes, thank you for moving us up here. This has been really good. This is, this is a decision I wouldn't have made for myself, but it's the one that needed to be made. Thank you. And so for us, it's like, wow, thank you for trusting us. I mean, you didn't have a choice. You know, you're not staying in Brunswick County. You came yeah. up here with us. Right. But they, they have been, they've been very resilient in that. And I mean, even if tomorrow, if let's say, for instance, my wife is an employee at Wake Forest now. If Wake Forest said, hey, Kelly, you, you've got to move to Winston. We've got to have you here tomorrow. The kids would be like, okay. Hmm. We've actually talked about, we talk about these scenarios. I mean, we're not planning anything right now. But we're open to everything right now. And that's how we operate. And you may have heard, you know, you do things with an open hand. That's what we did. Oh, yeah. And because we realized that tomorrow anything could happen and we could move. We could go or we could get a call. And we're like, okay, let's go. And the kids are so awesome and amazing in that sense that they're like, okay. I mean, my son Deacon, I got one boy, Deacon. He loves his friends back in Wilmington. He loves them. But then he's like, I'll make friends somewhere else. I'm cool. Our daughter, Emmy, who's in gym four days a week at the gym. She's like, they got great gyms other places. I'm, I'm cool. I mean, they, they don't, they, they're, they're like that. And that's something that I think is, mm. that I don't, I don't know that my wife and I have, led them to be that way that's just how God has created them to be that way so that, that's that been it's made it a whole lot easier wow to be able to just transition on a dime mm. that's awesome and you may have just answered this other question uh, what has God been teaching you I think I mean you feel free to add in but that whole idea of living with open hands open fists or whatever I think is that but there's anything else in the last I don't know we're getting COVID's everybody's world yeah. right now. In that last time you talked about your family, talked about your neighborhood, anything else you'd say God's been teaching I, you? I would say absolutely. I say the, the number one thing that sticks out is, um, and is what church is. Hmm. And, and I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself the biggest church guy. You know, we moved, and since we moved to Wilmington, we've, I'll admit, we've struggled to find our community. We've been to a couple of different places. And, and although there's a lot of, you know, quality things they have to offer. It's not been what we believe God wanted us to plug in as a community. And then COVID hits. Well, I had my surgery first and then COVID hits. And you're talking about well over a year of really having just a, a consistent connection uh, with the body of Christ. But in the, in the meantime of all of that, it's it's really reminded me and shown me that it's, it is about, um, obviously, the... the the essential relationship was with Christ. That's what it's all built upon. I mean, without Jesus, you don't have church. You don't have anything. Mm -hmm. But I really strongly believe that from that is when you look at the book of Acts, what you see are that those early churches are built on relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell my students, you know, I, I teach these Bible classes. I tell my students, hey, listen, there's no description of a physical building in the New Testament of a church. And there's a reason for that because that's not the church. And so, and we all know that, yet we still, right. we're still dependent upon buildings, and that's not always a bad thing. 
but I, I'm incredibly optimistic, not just for myself, but for all my brothers and sisters in Christ of what the future is going to look like because we've had to adapt of, of what church could be like without the building this past year. And it's been a struggle for many, I know, because oh, not only can't you meet in the building, but you can't meet with each other. Right, and that's that's, that's not bigger. something I wanted. I mean, I'm like, cool, you can have the building, just give me the people. Right, but then when you don't have the people, but I've noticed um, just how, you know, just our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ has just strengthened so much this past year, even from a distance. And I've watched other churches in that same way, just kind of have to modify all those things. And I I think that that is that's the biggest thing I've kept my eye on this past year is, you know, what, what is the church going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I, I'm trying my hardest not to do that from a critical perspective because mm-hmm. I don't want to be critical. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, well, I would never go to that church. I said, well, they probably wouldn't want you because they, <laughs> they, if, if you're, if what you're looking for is different, that's fine. You know, right. Every, that's why churches are different. That's the beauty of it. So I'm not, I'm not a church critic, but I do believe that it's been a long time coming for the church to have to, reform if not even repent mm. from a lot of things that the church has held, held held on to we've seen a lot of that this past year you know just with with, with politics and holding on to politics it's like no it did, you know we I, I don't vote I didn't cast my vote for a messiah in the voting booth <laughs> I've already got one and, and I think churches have had to come face to face with that yeah. as well and it's as painful as that is and as divisive as that has become um, sometimes I think that's necessary. The, the 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 pain, the turmoil has been necessary, and I don't I don't know that God's going to put me in a position to lead or start anything new. And like I said, we're open whatever, but it's been cool to see how some of our friends who are in ministry have handled it, and what they've had to do, and how they've had to trust, and and how the church has morphed into the identity that I think is much more biblical than what maybe we've created it to be. Mm-hmm. So that's. Wow. That's been kind of where my mind has gone. Like, as I said, I haven't, haven't been reading books on church ecclesiology. I haven't been doing any of that stuff. Right. I've just been trying to just really observe and just kind of take mental notes as I've been just doing my own Bible study and prayer and just seeing what's going on. And I, I see I see much more positive than negative in the future. I know people, well, these churches are having to close or they can't pay their staff. And I hate those things. Trust me that I, I do. I think the church is going to emerge from this healthier. I do. I think it's going to look different. It's mm, good. I mean, the, to me, that's the greatest commandment. You know, love God and love people. Well, that's it's it. All centered on relationships. It is. I mean, anybody that wants to talk, and I don't. I won't talk politics. And all the stuff goes on. I say, listen. The answer to every question you have is love God, love people. Mm. Race issues, political issues. Love God, love people. And you figure that out. And also, some way to keep the media quiet. Yeah. Um, you figure that out. You. The, the whole landscape is going to change. I mean, I'm on, I've, I've prayed more for revival this past year than I ever have in my life. And I'm not praying, and I'm just praying for the church and for followers of Jesus. So when I say the church, it's all followers of Jesus. I've been praying more this past year than I ever have before for them to just lead and love well. Mm. Yeah, you, do you even know your neighbor next door? Now's a good time. And, and does he know Jesus? Does she know Jesus? Hey, I, in whatever way you can, social distance, have them over. Mm-hmm. Connect. Be be the church. Don't go on Don't go on social media and type out all your opinions about stuff. Because, one, nobody cares. And secondly, nobody wins social media arguments. But what does win the day is when the neighbors around you and the people around you 
know that you love them well. And it sounds so basic, and it's stuff we yeah. talk about all our lives in church. But if we're honest, it, it doesn't get actualized nearly enough. And I'm guilty here as well. Mm. And I've, I've just been praying for that. Just revive your people, God, just to, to be the church that you've called them to be for the past 2,000 years. Mm. I think, I was just thinking about this too. You can't love God or people from a distance. Now that's kind of crazy to say in the area era of social distancing, but like right. you got to get in there, in the mess of people's lives and get close to them, even if you're being six feet apart. That's not what I really mean. You got to get to know them. You got to do the the hard work. Like you and, do and that. especially in a country like America, that's become really post Christian in a lot of oh, ways. Sure. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, it becomes much, much more uncomfortable because you are, you are encountering more people all the time who are embracing worldviews that are so radically different than yours. And the, the idea in the past has been, well, we, we can love them from a distance because if we get too close, it'll mm-hmm. look like we're condoning what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the pages of Scripture and say, well, that's exactly what Jesus did, and nobody yeah. had a problem with him. And so, well, yeah, they did. Well, they well, did. They but they, him, but... yeah, yeah, good point, valid point. But I get what you, I get what you're saying, like yeah, but our, our, I think it's 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 well past time we, we get past worrying about that and saying yes, yes, I have a friend who views um, gender issues much different than I do. I will not capitulate to that viewpoint, but yes, I can still love this guy, and I can love him well, and he can still be my friend. And again, that sounds like common common sense, but that has been much more harder said than done. In, in the past, I do have. Can I tell a quick story? Sure. Okay, and it's it's kind of it's not really political, but it kind of is. And this isn't this isn't a, a Pat Sterling on the back thing, but I, I just I just like people. I don't I don't care if you're purple. We're gonna hang out. I mean, and so with everything, all this racial unrest this past year. I mean, I'm like many of the people saying, okay, what's gonna happen? It's crazy. It just got amplified and all this stuff. And uh, my son was playing Pop Warner football. They still had Pop Warner and playing at this uh, this fields in Wilmington and. We had a game one evening under the lights. It was really cool against a team from downtown. And so they were all African-American. And my son's team had some African-Americans on it, but mostly white. And again, whatever. It's football. Let's play. And so I get to the game early because I had to drop him off. And there's, you know, a bunch of people milling around the field and the events. And, you know, a bunch of people from the other team were there. And so there's a bunch of African-American black people hanging out around the gates and stuff. And so I go up and I just, I just start, I start talking. Yeah. I mean, everybody's my people. I, I mean, right. you're my people. And so we're just chatting and we're talking about stuff. And this is right before the election as well. And so you can sense tension because there's tension everywhere. Right. But I refuse. I, we're just talking. We're hanging out. It's an older older black guy and a younger black guy. And, um, you know, talking about, you know, what's our world's a crazy place. I said, isn't it crazy? And I just told them what we just talked about. I said, guys, you just love God, love people. That's all that matters. Like, yeah, you're right. And we were just hanging out talking. My wife came to the game. I introduced them to them. And then... And one of the guys stopped me and said, you know, what you're doing right now is crazy to me. I'm like, uh, what am I doing? He said, you're talking to us. He said, white people don't ever talk to us like this. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. Because, like, we're just dudes hanging out because right. we're human, right? Yeah. And we have the same, I mean, we're people. And it was so cool because, I mean, I was in... I didn't go out to say to break some barrier. It's just people to me, yeah. and I, it, it's just people. That's who we're, we're, we're made in God's image. We're people, and the coolest thing was after the game, uh, the younger guy came up and 
he said he was he was about to move to Texas. He was um, getting a new job. He said, would you pray with me? Hmm. He said, because I'm nervous about the job, and I'm also nervous about what was going on in our country. And in the stands there, we just put my arm around, we prayed. And uh, I, I just, that to me is what um, church is. That's what our faith is. And again, I'm not trying to, to toot my own horn, because yeah. uh, I'm not. I mean, I fall. I fail so many times, but it, I feel like that that's what should be natural for, for us as Christians. And hmm. Uh, it's politics and race issues aside. It's just, man, can we just start by being decent people? And then when you're a decent person, then everything else flows into that. Wow. I, I do know, we won't get into this, but uh, this may, somebody listen to me like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm interested. There's a big, like, history of racism in Wilmington. Yeah. Massive. I didn't know about it until like a few months ago, but like that's yeah from eighteen ninety yeah deal yeah what went on what wow. went on what went on eighteen ninety eight and there's been book there's bare been books written about it and there's a, a new movie about it and you know, it's all history worth learning yeah and the key is you, you learn from history right so that you move forward um, and certainly hope you don't move backward yes because it's easy to get mad over things I'm still mad over you know Chris Paul last year at Wake losing to West Virginia. In the NCAA, I'm so mad about that, but I can't dwell on that. Mm. I, I gotta look forward. That's right. Of course, Wake Forest basketball. You, look on, you better look way on forward. There's, right there's nothing to see right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll wind up here with just a little bit. Uh, something that we both enjoy a good bit, and that's coffee. Yes. So I want to start off. Uh, I want to give you three um, trivia questions, kind of about the history of coffee. Oh, okay. Sort sort of like that. So. Um, let's see. Which one do we start with? Uh, okay. What nation produces the most coffee in the world? What nation grows the most coffee? Yes. And I found these answers on Google. I hope they're right. Um. The the natural the natural uh, I think answer would be Colombia, but I don't think that's right. That is not the answer I have. Right. I'm gonna go with Guatemala. Brazil, okay, is the answer I got. Okay, and then I got that Vietnam was second, which oh. was interesting. So if you've again, never had Vietnamese iced coffee, okay, and I don't do iced coffee, I do Vietnamese iced coffee. Okay, there it's you amazing. go, it's there fantastic. You go. Um, okay, uh, when was coffee invented? Oh, I feel like I should know this. Fourteen um, hundreds. Again, I'm just going to just you know toss out there. This is all internet. You're shaming me right now. You so, are shaming um, me. <laughs> 800 AD, around there, ninth century goat herders apparently watched what happened to their goats when they ate the beans. The beans. Yeah, the, and they're actually cherries. The beans on the inside. That is right. It's really. I had to not, redeem myself a little yes, bit. Yes, there you go. I didn't even want to share that, but Sterling does know his coffee. If he was over two so far. And then apparently that evening, a monk ground the beans and made a coffee drink after he saw what happened. A monk did. A monk. So we know it's from Jesus. <laughs> we know that God favors coffee because Hebrews. Yeah, I was going to say it had to be started in the yeah, Hebrews, yeah. right? But, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, also, this is just a random fun fact. Now get to the last question. Um, apparently, it became um, a patriotic thing to do to drink coffee. After the Boston Tea Party, because we're not drinking tea, right? Because 
Right. Yeah, we don't. Mm. So people start drinking coffee more than they're more patriotic if they drink coffee. So, but then, we're not being political. But that was just interesting. No, if that's the case, then I scream America. <laughs> I do. There you go. Um, and do you know how much the world's most expensive coffee is? It's and, either it's either well, there's three there's three possibilities. One would be Kona. One could be Jamaica Blue Mountain. The other one could be the cat dung coffee. And that's probably it. Yes. It's probably 50, 60 a pound. Now, this said 600, which seems crazy. I've seen okay. it for like 30. But then when I was looking at it, uh, talking with some guys, they're like, you got to be careful because people are scamming you right and left. I'm sure they are. That. Sure they are. Yeah. So this is the uh, Kopi Luwak. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. But basically... Uh, it's uh, the feces of this Asian civet, which is a cat-like yeah. animal that eats the berries, mm-hmm. can't digest the beans, poops them out. But during that process, some of the acidity of the coffee, the bean is gone, so you get a smoother cup. Okay, so, and I'm not sure how you get people to do that job to sort through poop for beans. Have you had that coffee? I have not. I would have thought you would have said yes. Uh, you know, I should have gimm- gotten some for today. That would have been great. I would have, I would have, I, something like that looks gimmicky to me. Some kind sure. of like, yeah, you know. But I mean, I'd be willing to, sure. But if it's, if it's 50 bucks a cup, somebody else is going to buy it. Yeah. Not me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not spending so, that kind of money. You can, you can search on Amazon. It's like $30 for like a, a pound or something. I'm like, eh. It's still pretty high. I don't know if that's even legit or not. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's three questions. So, I know you've been through, you've roasted some coffee. You were doing like some roasting in like a popcorn popper so back started, in the day. So Are you I still started, doing any of that or how did you I, get into I, that? I roasted 16 pounds two weeks ago. Okay. So I did, I, it started, I, I loved coffee. After after college, I got a love for coffee. And then, you know, of course, Starbucks was the strongest thing. I needed more. I actually had a chance to go to Northern Sudan, 2006, okay. right below, right there on the Nile River below, below Egypt. And... Staying with a family one night out in the middle of nowhere, and they roasted coffee beans and ground them up and put them in a little kettle and percolated it by a campfire. And after that, I said, I must figure out how to do this. My older brother, who's a coffee head, we learned that you could roast raw coffee beans in a hot air popcorn popper half a cup at a time. So we started doing that. Mm -hmm. Wasn't enough for me. I bought an old Ronco rotisserie that had been modified with a cage on it. You could put beans in so I could roast up to... Uh, five pounds at a time. Okay. And actually sold it for a little while until the uh, IRS found out. And then uh, you can delete that part out if you want. And now I just roast for me and friends. Like, I brought some up here from, you know, the guy took me hunting yesterday, so I gave him a bag of coffee. But yes, I um, still roast all the time. I, I'm i not the total snob that I refuse someone else's coffee, mm. but I'm very peculiar. And I will not drink Starbucks. Unless it's like last resort. Yeah, they're just straight coffee is. Yeah, and I'm straight coffee, all black. I mean, no, yeah. no creamer. Now I'll admit, when it's the fall, I would do my pumpkin spice. Oh, yeah. I get my basic white girl on. For I'm sure. not ashamed to say that, but beyond that, it's all black. Okay. What about nitro? Um, I, I'm not a cold coffee guy. Okay. I've had it. It's okay. Coffee to me is to be hot, and so I really only like it. I mean, I can have a. If I do get a coffee drink, then it might be like a chai latte with a couple of shots of espresso oh, in yes. it. Oh, yes. Dirty so chai. I'll, I'll do that a dirty chai, and I'll yes. do a cold. Oh, I'll do a dirty chai all day. 
Then I got the mix at home. I got the chai mix at home. Yeah. I make chais at home. Okay. But the interesting thing about coffee, if I can say this, is that the the uh, lighter the bean roasted, the more caffeine. Yes, that is so a the definite dark, misconception. Out so there people think sure. people think espresso is going to wire up. Espresso is very dark, so it has less caffeine. Right. And then French roast. Another funny fun fact: they don't grow coffee in France. So French <laughs> roast is just another way of saying let's take all the leftover beans, let's roast it till it's almost burnt, and then sell it. So I don't drink French roast. Because French roast is like the, um, it's like the fake Rolex watch of coffees. I just won't do it. I can get it for twenty bucks in the streets of New York, and I just, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I'm going for the real deal. That two good facts about coffee right there. Um, so, what's your preferred roast? If you're what, how, what's your roast look like? Is it a light, medium? Mm, I'm a medium dark usually, okay. and I just like the flavor. It bursts out more. And African coffees are my favorite. I say Kenya's number one for me. Uh, Kenya and then Uganda's right up there. I do like Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of South American coffees, although I think Guatemala's pretty good. And Kona coffee, I'm sure it's good, but I'm not going to pay that much money yeah. for it. So I'll just trust the experts on that one. Okay. Any other wisdom of coffee? Because I feel like you've got it. Oh, I don't have the wisdom, but um, if you want to buy whole bean coffee, and there's a roaster in your area, go drive the extra mile or two to the coffee roaster. Like if you in Winston-Salem, Cranky's yes. downtown, the mecca of coffee to me, mm. and they roast on site. And I will buy, I, I roast my own beans, but if I'm short, if I'm in town, I will buy beans from them because I know those beans were roasted recently. You know, there's a date on a lot of the coffee beans at the stores, and you don't realize you, when you learn to read that date, those bags are six, seven, eight years old. And that's stale coffee. Mm. So fresh. And never refrigerate or freeze your cold coffee beans. Just put, them in a, just put them in a bag and put them in a cabinet in the dark. People freeze their coffee beans, and it's like that doesn't help preserve them. It actually helps denature them. Did I redeem myself for my you miserable totally, questions? Okay. You totally did. Yeah. I mean, you, you're knowing the more practical stuff, which is what's really important. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't go down like that. There's too, I mean, much, there's too much pride at stake. You totally redeemed yourself. That's for sure. So, Well, uh... If you're still out there listening, thank you for hanging with us for this long. We've been talking for a good bit, so but it has been an awesome about hour to catch up with Mr. Sterling Griggs. So thank you for being my guinea pig. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Three podcast. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll sign off from our first recording ever. So excited and we'll talk to you again sooner. I will. Sterling may not. If he's ever back up, I'm having him back on, but I'll be uh, there. So anyway. Thank you guys for joining us today. We'll talk to you soon.